Welcome back to When Banned Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name is Todd Sullivan. With me, as always, is Oren Barter. Hello. And today we begin our look at what will hopefully be the worst book we ever read on this podcast, The Turner Diaries. So, <laughs> how are you doing, Oren? I hate this book. Yeah, yeah. I thought we might take a moment to to throw out the fact that, like, just before we started recording, we had a little bit of uh, of a crisis of confidence or a crisis of willingness to see this through. <laughs> uh, you came out uh, and told me that you weren't sure that you were going to be able to finish reading this book, and I was like, "Oh well, shit." Now what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I, I think I may have coerced you into seeing this horrible, vile work through to the end, if only to maybe hopefully save some other poor soul from having to read it. Yeah, so what Todd said to me, he, he what he wanted from this podcast was to give people a buffer. So if they were interested or curious in what this book is, but they didn't want to subject themselves to reading it, which please do not yeah like it is really bad um and maybe you can feed that curiosity through us and hopefully like todd said we can make something of of having to put ourselves through this yes my hope is that you know the book it does somewhat exist within the pop culture and it did definitely come up um in in january around the capital riots there were a lot Mm -hmm. of people talking about it and so my, you know, I, my thought with this podcast is at the very least, hopefully, if at some point someone is like maybe Googling this book, trying to find out more about it, instead of going out of the way and reading it, they might encounter a podcast instead and, and use us as a way to learn about the book, learn about, you know, the contents of the book. And hopefully we can filter some of the ideas and, and give some context and, and some thoughts around the, the madness. This is, this is like, I, I have read this book before and I had literally forgotten I, I guess just how uh horrifyingly racist this book is like it's it's the, the first bit of racism in the book is literally on the second page that is that is how quickly it really sets the tone very quickly. it does yeah. it does so quickly um and and it does not so, yeah let that's up. that's my hope um and yeah, I don't know. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of notes on this, and I have a lot of uh, excerpts. There's a lot to say, mostly just because there's so much here that I can't believe is actually here. Um, so I kind of want to just dive in uh, without too much preamble, because I'm afraid that I, I might actually go long on talking about a book that I loathe. But um, before well, I begin, I will. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I will. I will talk about what I'm drinking because we yeah, have to do that. Yeah, as I was going to say. Um. I'm drinking red wine right now. Okay. Which is different, but I'll tell you why. Your housewife in it. <laughs> no. Um, I, uh, I was actually at the liquor store yesterday buying uh, some beer in anticipation of the podcast tonight. Okay. And when I was at the checkout, you know, they'll sometimes have like um, little 
special deals on products there. It's like your last, hey, this is your last chance to get this deal kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And they had this this wine, this Pato Criollo from Argentina that's in like a big, like, Tetra Pak, like, what fucking juice comes in. Okay. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And then plus, it's like, so it's a, it's a liter of wine rather than 750 milliliters that you would get in a bottle. Okay. And then it's six bucks for this fucking juice box of wine. <laughs> So I'm like this uh, great big juice. You're like a like, giant toddler walking around getting drunk. Yeah. Did, did you well, like stab a straw through the top of it and just like no? no? I could have. You should have. I should have actually. I've got metal straws here that would have totally gone <laughs> in there. But no, I did. I like a good person. I poured it into a wine glass so I could swirl it around. It's not bad wine <laughs> at six bucks a bottle or six bucks a, a juice box. Um, <laughs> I might go back and buy more because like that is that is hella cheap. Like it is hella cheap. Is it? Is any, it? What percentage is it? It's 13.1. Yeah, yeah. If it tastes decent, that's going to get you good and drunk. Yeah, yeah. No, I, dr- I drank a couple of glasses of this with dinner yesterday and uh, and then like switched to beer. But by then it was like, oh, man, I'm flying. And uh, <laughs> I, I kind of think I'm going to appreciate the uh, the extra kick of liquor as we go through this book. Um, what are you drinking tonight, sir? Um, I am actually drinking a CBD cocktail. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I did... Uh, I did want to take a little step back from alcohol for a while. Um, I did try a THC drink the other night, and uh, I remembered why me and THC never really got along. Yeah. Um, but I got to say, I'm not minding the kind of low mellowness that I get from the CBD. So Interesting. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Is it like, do you mix it yourself with like something, or is it like a, a pre-made thing? It's just a pre-made thing. You go down to the bc cannabis store and it's actually really tasty it's dragon uh, dragon fruit and watermelon interesting yeah okay so let's begin um the turner diaries uh, also want to point out um and this probably wouldn't be one of the rare times that i will <laughs> make a point of saying this but um i did pirate this book so in no way did i financially support anyone who is uh maybe making this book available because uh, i certainly do not want to put money in the hands of the sort of people who would sell this book. Uh, additionally, it's interesting to note that in January, this book was removed from Amazon. I had no idea that it was still available on Amazon until that Jesus, recently. Jesus, really? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's the United States and it's freedom of speech and everything else. Right. But I guess, um, especially after the capital attacks, Amazon went hard against anything sort of like far, far right and anything maybe connected to QAnon. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's pulled from Amazon. So, so this thing, harder to, this is really banned then. Yeah, it's, like, it's getting more and more banned. banned every day. Hopefully I'm not on some sort of like list that I downloaded it. You wouldn't be because you downloaded <laughs> it from me anyway. Hey. I'd be on the list and then you got it off of the OneDrive that we shared on. Right, so. right. So The Turner Diaries is a 1978 novel by William Luther Pierce, but it was published under the pseudonym Andrew McDonald. The Turner Diaries depicts... Why would he want to change his name? Why uh, would he want to do that? That's a good question. I do not know enough about... William Luther Pierce, except to say that he was a uh, he was a racist asshole. <laughs> um, the Turner Diaries depicts a violent revolution in the United States, which leads to the overthrow of the federal government, a nuclear war, and ultimately a race war, which leads to the systemic extermination of non-whites. All groups opposed by the novel's protagonist, Earl Turner, including Jews, non-whites, liberal actors, and politicians, also throw in the media. Big hate on for the media in this book. Oh, yeah. Um, are exterminated. 
The Turner Diaries was described as explicitly racist and anti-Semitic by the New York Times, and it has also been labeled the Bible of the Racist Right by the Southern Poverty Law Center. The book was greatly influential in shaping white nationalism and the later development of the white genocide theory. It has also inspired numerous hate crimes and acts of terrorism, including the 1984 assassination of Ellen Berg, the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, and the 1999 London nail bombing. So that's all fun. Holy shit. So, that's a little uh, a little context, a little history. Um, the book itself uh, is written in a way kind of similar to um, The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. obviously not as well written. Yeah. No, is this, this is kind of, yeah, terribly written. It's, I mean, I will grant that it's, it's what, was, what was the word I was using the other day? It was, it's serviceably written, I guess, like. The sentences are complete and they make yeah. sense and they lead to other sentences that make sense, but there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing here that's really a compelling story. There's no no, no direct uh, narrative. There's you know, there's, there's logic, no real there's logic gaps. turning quality. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. Anyway. But like the Handmaid's Tale, it's sort of um it's a first person account of a point in history that is um apparently discovered sometime in the future and then and then published like this guy clearly read a hand the handmaid's tale well i mean i don't i mean to be fair i don't think the handmaid's tale is the only book that was written that way oh, okay okay um the book it, it was supposedly published in like uh the year 100 of the new era um whereas the story begins in 1991 or what they call 8 BNE, which I assume is before the new era. So eight years before the new era. Um, obviously, this this upheaval that the that America goes through is big enough that they completely change where they mark uh, the start of years. There's also this this continual, not continual, but every once in a while, there's like these editorial sides where it's like, yeah. note to reader, um, this like dollars was an amount was a currency used in the United States and like a dollar yeah. would get you this much bread or this much sugar. And it's like, <laughs> are you saying that like in the, in the new era, you don't have money anymore? Like that's pretty socialist. That is pretty socialist. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> like you guys have overcome capitalism through this. Uh, and also uh, we get, to, we find out that uh, they finally get rid of the imperial system in the U S yeah. and they finally go metric. So I guess if there's one thing, one positive that came from all this, so that the this, U.S. finally went metric. Yeah. Welcome to the rest of the world. I guess. <laughs> now that you've blown up everybody you disagree with. Uh, okay, so the we opened September 16th, 1991 with the words, Today it finally began. After all these years of talking and nothing but talking, we have finally taken our first action. We are at war with the system, and it is no longer a war of words. And I, I found when I went back and looked at this chapter again to take some notes that I'm pretty sure at no point in this chapter does he actually say uh, what the action is that they've taken. No. Most of this chapter is focused on um, sort of revealing to us that two years before this date, um, the passing of something called the Cohen Act outlawed private ownership of guns, um, and people were asked to voluntarily turn in their guns to the government. Obviously, many people didn't, including Earl Turner, uh, who was the narrator of this book, if I didn't mention that already. Uh, he and a bunch of his friends in a group called The Organization. Oh, and come on, we all know what organization that is. 
What, terrorism? No. It's the KKK, or- right? <laughs> well, I mean, it could be, I guess. Um, I was thinking it's just, it's meant to be sort of a shadowy term for, you know, his, these freedom fighters. Oh, okay. Um, it's the organization versus the system, which is sort of the umbrella name for the government and the media and, you know, Jews and everybody else. I felt like it was like, he just didn't want to write that it was the KKK. That's, I mean, that's entirely possible, I guess. Um, I mean, that's what I, that's what I took away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing in the text where he talks about like, we went to a meeting and put on our hoods or anything like that. Right. Okay. um, They're clearly, they, they, the KKK clearly have similar interests. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. And so Turner and, uh, you know, a few other people from the organization, they bring their guns out and um, they bury them in a barrel in, in the middle of nowhere in a forest um, so they can go get him back. Um, meanwhile, he has a gun kind of hidden near his doorframe just in case of emergency. Um, now, at the start of the, uh, the start of this chapter in September of 1991, there's a group of, of black people of course, that are going from room to room, um, he thinks potentially robbing and raping people because um, when when the Cohen Act was passed and people had to give up their guns, of course, suddenly groups of black people were running around everywhere robbing and raping everybody because that's what would happen as soon as all the guns were gone. Um, and this is this is where books like this are kind of a problem because... In, in the fiction of this world, that is obviously what happened. Like, Earl Turner is telling us that, yes, as soon as all the guns were gone, this is what black people did. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fact in this world. But the argument is that that's what would happen in our world. Yeah. And that's the point he's trying to make. And yet there's no, there's no reason to come to that conclusion. And so it's ultimately kind of a straw man argument, right? He's... He's creating a situation to be afraid of without providing any reason to think that that situation would come about. Uh, but so this group of, of black people um, are going through these apartments and they're looking for, for guns. Um, oh, they're policemen. They're black policemen. Well, yeah. I guess I got the sense that they were like kind of like, quote unquote, deputized by the police to oh, help okay. out. They weren't officially policemen. That was the read that I got from it. Um and then they can't find the guns, and um, and they go to the proper policeman, who I think is white, who comes in and is like, oh, wow, this guy, he's on the list of people who had guns that didn't turn them in, so there must be a gun here. And he gets out some kind of like little metal detector jobby, and he finds it in the wall. Or in the door, um, in the door jam. In or the, in, no, in the door, in the door frame, yeah. yeah. And then he gets arrested. He gets arrested. But then it turns out that there was so many people that were arrested that night, because they were doing these raids all over the country. Yeah, that they weren't able to make anything stick because they couldn't. It was like, what was it? Did you have a number? Six hundred thousand. I think it was eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. Um, but it was it was definitely more than they were anticipating. Um, and so the, they were like, "Well, we can't. We don't have enough room in jails." And and so this is where I have my first excerpt from the book. Okay. Um, the news media tried hard to work up enough public sentiment against us so that the arrests would stick. The fact that there weren't enough jail cells in the county in the country to hold us all could be remedied by herding us into barbed wire enclosures outdoors until new prison facilities could be readied, the newspaper suggested. In freezing weather. And I want to really point out <laughs> to that in freezing weather thing. Like this guy is appalled that 
the newspapers might suggest that he be kept outside in freezing weather when in the next chapter of this book, he and a buddy out on a robbery mission slit a store owner's throat. Just to get some money. Just to get, well, not only that, they first check to make sure that this guy is a supporter of the system, right? Right. So because he has different ideological views, they kill him. Fucking kill him. Yeah. But and please that, don't put me in a cell out in the cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a reoccurring theme in this book is just the double standard that the narrator has yeah. um, is just, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, and and like, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I found in this book, like a lot of the situations that they find themselves in are quite idealized. Like when he wants to make himself seem victimized, the situation is him being victimized. And mm-hmm. when he um, wants justification for for the thoughts and ideas that he's saying, um, he always places some random character that's like, you know, cheering them on or something like, I don't know. It just feels like yeah. like the world just constantly bends back and forth to whatever point he's trying to make. It's the same thing as, you know, those, uh, like, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've read or, like, watched YouTube videos about these sort of um, Christian films like God's Not Dead, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a Christian student, you know, debating an atheist teacher, but, like, the, the atheist teacher arguments are, like, never the sincere arguments that an actual atheist would use. They're, like, bad arguments that are created just so the Christian can slap them down in the film. Right. Um, something else he mentions in this chapter when talking about the search for guns is that the system didn't bother searching for guns in black neighborhoods. Again, like it's something that actually happened in the fiction of this book, but I don't know why that would be a thing other than like, he's just trying to paint the system as being anti-white, anti-white. Exactly. Right. Um, oh, I love that. Like this bit here too. Um, I, I shouldn't say like, it was like, it is ironic that while the organization has always warned the public against the dangers of racial integration of our police, this has now turned out to be a blessing in disguise for us. The Equal Opportunity Boys have really done a wonderful wrecking job on the FBI and other investigative agencies, and their efficiency is way down as a result. So there's just some mm. more you know, casual racism that uh, you know, he's basically saying that the FBI and the police aren't doing a good job because, ha, 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 they went and hired black people even though he told them not to. Um, yeah, and like that. Yeah, sorry, just no, like like overlaying theme is like they're stupid, we're smart, they're evil, we're great. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll kill them, but please don't let us sit out in the yeah, cold. Yeah, we don't want to be cold. Um. And then basically, at, by the end of the chapter, we find out that because they don't have enough jail space, everybody is let go and sort of kind of sent home to be like. We'll come back and get you when it's your time to be processed or whatever. And then they kind of get word that it's that that that's coming. And so um, Turner and like the rest of his squad or unit, um, they they bolt for their safe house, which um, they've kind of been paying for this apartment on the sly as a place that they can like run off to. Um, and that's sort of where we get in the next chapter, which opens at September 18th, 1991. Um, they've, they've headed off to their safe house. Their unit consists of George, Catherine, and Henry. Um, 
they find themselves that they need to get weapons and they need to get money and they need to find a new hideout because their hideout is like the walls are thin. People are eavesdropping. They're nervous. Um, this is where we get the note to the reader that the dollar was the basic monetary right. unit in the United States in the old <laughs> era. And I still want to know what they replaced it with. Maybe they're just going back to like trading goats for loaves of bread or whatever. Maybe. Um, that would be a good deal for the for the baker. Get a whole goat for yeah, one exactly, loaf of bread. Right? Meanwhile, I got a goat. I got. I don't. I'm not gonna eat him. I don't know what to do with him. But I'm fucking hungry. <laughs> You're right Please now. Take, yeah. my, take my fucking goat. He's annoying. He wakes up early and eats <laughs> all my paper. <laughs> I guess that's a sheep. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they managed to get a car and a little bit of money from one of the other units. Um. But then, uh, Henry, I think, well, the group they decide to rob some places. Uh. And while Turner is like. Let's just go rob a liquor store. Henry is like, no, uh, we uh, couldn't use means which contradicted our ends. So that means they have to look for people who are um, aligned with the system. And so they go through the yellow pages. Um, and it's interesting to note that there's no aside about what the yellow pages used to be. <laughs> so in the <laughs> you know, in 100 the future, years of the future of this pages. book, yellow pages still exist, apparently. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it ain't broke, right? If it ain't broke. Um, so he compares uh, the names of liquor stores in the Yellow Pages with the list of supporting members of the Northern Virginia Human Relations Council, which doesn't really sound like a nefarious organization. But um, apparently they're the bad guys, um, according to Earl Turner. And they, they find uh, a, uh, a liquor store owned by Rob Berman. No, sorry. Saul Berman. Berman's liquor stores. They decide to rob that. It's worth noting that Berman is, according to my Google search, a Jewish surname. So that probably yeah, that probably played a, a giveaway yeah. there. That probably played a role too. Yeah. Um, they rob the liquor store with um, a bar of soap in a sock. Um, they they conk him out with the soap and the sock, and they steal the money. And then when they're leaving, they spot another Berman business it's berman's deli uh they decide to rob that place which apparently has the you know saul berman himself behind the counter uh they try to distract him with something they try to conk him with the sock but he just sort of goes down on his all fours and he's kind of screaming crawling around and that's when uh henry slits his throat and then they they well they, i shouldn't say they bolt because they don't like henry very calmly robs the the register and then you know searches the cigar box underneath that and they both walk casually down the street what did they afterwards. do something to his wife too i yeah they threw like a jar of gummy balls at her or something i think oh okay i don't remember i didn't take note of that um i just i was i was amused by i the mean i guess that, they like, killed once, her husband they killed her husband yeah that's true and they they threw something at her and then they just sort of walked away and then at the end of the chapter um uh turner is like wow, I, I guess I shouldn't take part in robberies anymore. I'm just not cut out for it. And it's like, yeah, you just fucking killed a guy. You think that's related? Yeah. There's no guilt, though. It's just like, wow, I, I'm not I'm not cut out for this job. Better do something else in this this. Too much like being left out in the cold. I can't do it. Yeah, it's, it's mildly inconvenient for me, so don't want to do it. Let somebody else be the murderer. Next chapter, September 21st, we find out, yeah, here that American Night is metric. They drive um, out of town 
to collect their cache of weapons. Man, the the time, the time in this chapter really threw me. Okay, and all, as well as the the distance as well. I'm not really good with uh, U.S. geography. I'm pretty sure that they're located in Washington D.C. Um, they only ever referred to it as Washington, but I don't think it's Washington State. I think it's because okay. they attacked the Capitol. Yeah. Um, and then, so they go to get their guns, and then on the way back from their guns, it's like late. Um, it took them longer to get the guns out than they thought, and it's around 11 o'clock at night, I think, and they stop at like this diner, and they're watching the news in the diner about Chicago, and I don't know if the diner is supposed to be in Chicago. I don't know if Chicago is like a reasonable drive from Washington, D.C. But then the way this is written, it also sounds like they spend like three days at the diner, which doesn't make any sense. I just assume that they watch some of the news at the diner and then some of it days later back at their safe house. But it's really not clear. Right. Um, but they find out like some what some of the other members of the organization have been up to. Uh, and in Chicago, I think it was Chicago, nine members had been arrested and uh, had been put to jail uh, where one was killed um, by this. Apparently what they would do is that they would, you you know, the police would intentionally put these white prisoners in cells with black prisoners so the black prisoners to kill them. And then the police just didn't have to worry about the white prisoners anymore. That's apparently a big thing they do. Um and so to retaliate, they they tracked down the Cook County Sheriff outside his home and killed him with a shotgun. Um, <laughs> here's another quote. Um, the Sheriff of Cook County had been a political bigwig and front rank Shabos Goy, and they were really raising hell. So Shabos Goy, I don't know if you are aware of that or looked it up. It's basically, no. it's a non-Jew who does the bidding of the Jews. Okay. So there's there's more fun racist yeah, stuff. New, there. Yeah, new this this book has a lot of new racist terms. For, yeah, it's, for me. It's a, it's, new, new it's a fun me. way to learn more about racism. Um It's not fun either. No, it's not really fun. No. Um two more people at that point, uh one described as a responsible conservative and another described as the head of the Chicago Jewish community speak out about the attack on the sheriff. And then they get attacked by the organization. Um, the first guy, the responsible conservative, um, his car blows up and he loses his legs and suffers severe uh, internal injuries and a car bomb. Um, the second guy uh, is killed with a hatchet to the back of the head. Uh, then the attorney general says that the federal government is throwing all of its police agencies into the effort to root the organization. Um, and they are described as depraved, racist criminals who are motivated solely by hatred and who wanted to undo all the progress towards true equality, which have been made by the system in recent years. And when when Turner brings up this description of him and his organization, it's brought up as like a, like a can you believe people are saying this stuff about us? But when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's you know. A, that's sh- pretty legit. Yeah. If the shoe fits, right? Yeah. Like, that seems pretty much right. Like. And it's it is though interesting to note that whenever whenever Turner talks about somebody else referring to them as racist, it's always in quotations. He always, he always puts it in quotations. Like, yeah. can you believe these people think we're racists? Um, but also, we hate everyone that's not white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we learn a little bit more about the organization here, uh, about how there are legal units and illegal units, the legal ones basically being people who are not 
currently known to the system as being a member of the organization. So they're the ones who are able to do things like recruit people. That sounds like the um, good guys, right? That's got to be the good guys. It's got to be the good guys. Well, gotta sometimes, be. you know, you got you to gotta fight against the government, right? If the government is doing things like, you know, hiring black people or um, things like that. It's bad news. Um, they find a new hideout in a uh, kind of a condemned commercial building, and uh, Earl manages to get the water and power working, but there's no heat. But still, you know, hey, step in the right direction. Next chapter, it's now September 30th. Uh, oh, man, I have a note that says communication network, blah, blah, blah. I think <laughs> I think it's just the opening of this chapter kind of goes into a it deep does, dive describing yeah. how their communication network works, and I just don't care. And can we talk about the level of detail? Like, If you want, sure. Yeah. Talk about anything. I mean... They're like step by step on everything, um, whether or not any of this is like reality. But he, the the author, does give like a step by step to all of these things. Like he's thought this through a million times, and he's just yeah, finally yeah. getting it down on paper, right? That's definitely true of the yeah this bit about the communications network and how it all works, and it's all everything's done by numbers because the 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 receivers are basically um, uh, calculators that are plugged into. Some kind of radio equipment. I don't know how it works. Yeah. Um, but hundreds of people connected to the organization uh, have been arrested at this point, including some of the legals. So, I mean, clearly even being illegal doesn't save you. Um, and they, they start to get an idea about the system developing an internal passport system to track people internally. So that, like, um, and this this is very much... Um, this is very much a modern kind of fear as well amongst like, you know, the far right and, and QAnon people and, and that sort of thing. Like the <laughs> vaccine conspiracy is about getting right. microchips so that people can track you everywhere. This is the kind of thing they're talking about with this passport system that like if you use your passport uh, and you're supposedly doing laundry in Chicago, well, if somebody walks into a grocery store in L.A. with the same ID, the system goes bing, bing, bing. And all of a sudden, like, somebody is, and uh, realistically, that's not stuff that should ever happen if you're not screwing around the government. So, um, so Unit 2 has problems with their communication system. This is a whole communication chapter. So Earl is sent out to take care of their communication system. It turns out Unit 2 is filled with stupid people who hooked their communication system up wrong. The battery's backwards. Everything is wrong. Right. And here's that whole, I'm smart, you're stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Um, except Mr. Smart Man drops the car battery on his foot. <laughs> Not so smart now, are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> manages to get it fixed. Uh, goes back to base. Is like, oh, my foot. And so the, the chick, whatever her name is, Catherine. Catherine, yeah. Um, she, like, helps him out, like, gets him a little uh, bucket full of ice to soak his foot on. He nods off. And then uh, after his nap, he gets up and is like, okay, my foot feels better. I'm going to go take a shower. And uh, what should he encounter in the shower but a wet and naked Catherine? I took another uh, excerpt here. <laughs> I undressed, got a towel, and opened the door to the shower. And there was Catherine, wet, naked, and lovely, standing under the bare light bulb and drying herself. She looked at me without surprise and said nothing. I stood there for a moment, and then, instead of apologizing and closing the door again, I impulsively held, held up my arms to Catherine. Hesitantly, she stepped toward me. Nature took her course. This, again, for me, has a lot of echoes into, like, far-right ideologies where, like, everyone is I, everyone is an alpha, and then if you disagree with me, you're a cuck. Right. 
and and I can get any woman I yep. want because I'm a big manly right wing man person. But you like to watch black people have sex with your wife because I disagree with you. <laughs> right. Um, and so, like, the one thing I'm noticing is that even though, like, this was written in 1978, um, there's a there's a lot from from these ideas that are lingering to this day, mm-hmm. even in the weirdest places like sexual dominance, right? Like, it's yeah, it's weird. Um, so after they bang, um, we find out a little bit more about Catherine, including the fact that she was a liberal, but, and here, once again, I have another wonderful excerpt. Um, (laughs) she was a liberal only in the mindless automatic way that most people are without really thinking about it or trying to analyze it. She superficially accepted the unnatural ideology peddled by the mass media and the government. She had none of the bigotry, none of the guilt and self-hatred that it takes to make really committed full-time liberal. Well, I got to tell you, I feel like I'm a pretty committed full-time liberal and I'm not aware of any bigotry, guilt or self-hatred that is fueling that. But it feels like maybe, it's like that's that's the other side. <laughs> maybe I need to talk to a therapist and and get to my inner self and find out what's really going on, what's really causing my liberalism. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly a disease, right? It clearly, and of course, now I've got to say more about Catherine because I've got another quote right here. She learned the truth about the system's equality hoax. She gained an understanding of the unique historical role of the Jews as the ferment of decomposition of races and civilizations. I took that note too. Most important, she began acquiring a sense of racial identity, overcoming a lifetime of brainwashing aimed at reducing her to an isolated human atom in a cosmopolitan chaos. This is probably the first, like, massively racist uh, paragraph. Like, there's been the bits about, like, oh, yeah, you know, guns are gone, so black people are running around raping everybody. But, like, when you, when you get to, like, Jews as the ferment of decomposition of races and civilizations, that's that's some next-level shit there. Um, since you took that, uh, since you took note of that as well, do you have anything you want to say about it? <laughs> Um, this is where the book starts to really deteriorate. I mean, yeah. it's been bad up to this point, but it does get worse. It um, does, yeah. So just, yeah, uh, buckle up. Yeah, and actually starting the next chapter, I, I have um, I have excerpts that are so long that I stopped typing them into notes, and I just gave myself, I just said, uh, read from the bottom of page 46 to page 47. <laughs> so, yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be fun. Uh, at the end of this chapter, we find out that uh, the organization is making a plan to blow up the FBI building. Uh, but that's the location where they're working on those passport computers. And so their hope is that they can take those computers out and cripple that system. Uh, next chapter, it's now October 3rd. Earl has made an alarm system uh, around their their new hideout. And he's also been working on an escape tunnel, which appears to involve a storm sewer. I'm assuming that the escape tunnel will be relevant at some point in the future, probably when they have to escape. Um Midway through this chapter, it becomes October 6th, and we learn that Earl has completed um, the detonating mechanism from the bomb, or for the bomb. And now is where I'm supposed to read from page 46 to page 47. So okay. if you give me a moment to find that. Boop. 
Mm. That's funny because I I took I took notes from the bottom of forty six all the way to forty seven as well. So this must, oh yeah, like this must these, be these so- things must both be jumping out to us. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, this is this is I remember this already. This is right. a long tirade about the Jews again. Um, where do I want to start here? Um, if freedom of the Amer- if the freedom of the American people were the only thing at stake, the existence of the organization would hardly be justified. Americans have lost their right to be free. Slavery is the just and proper state for a people who have grown as soft, self-indulgent, careless, credulous, and befuddled as we have. Indeed, we are already slaves. We have already we've allowed a diabolically clever alien minority, hint, it's the Jews, to put chains on our souls and our minds. These spiritual chains are a truer mark of slavery than the iron chains which are yet to come. Why didn't we rebel 35 years ago when they took our schools away from us and began converting them into racially mixed jungles? Why didn't we throw them all out of the country 50 years ago instead of letting them use us as cannon fodder in their war to subjugate Europe? More to the point, what? why didn't we rise up three years ago when they started taking our guns away? Why didn't we rise up in righteous fury and drag these arrogant aliens into the streets and cut their throats then? Why didn't we roast them over bonfires at every street corner in America? Why didn't we make a final end to this obnoxious and eternally pushy clan, this pestilence from the sewers of the East, instead of meekly allowing ourselves to be disarmed? In case that wasn't clear, that, that, that was the Jews they were talking about. Just, just Jewish people. Um, yeah. So, you're yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like a, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know. Make gagging noises if you need to. Like I don't know. Um, it's just it's so. so it's, it's so hate like so angry. Mm. so hateful it's just uh, it's um yeah it's, i mean i can't yeah it's hard to read it is it is it is hard to read and, it's and it because, was probably like, hard to listen to yeah i'm sure it was um it's like i don't i've never hated anyone anyone anywhere near that much let alone like an entire fucking race of people. Like whoever wrote this was just a, must have had some violent, violent thoughts. Uh, anyway, where are we? Uh, October 11th, they, uh, they're going to bomb the next day. Uh, even though apparently unit eight wasn't able to find as many explosives as they needed. Um, they wanted something like, I don't know, 10, was it 10,000 pounds of TNT, but they only got like, 500 or 800 and ended up being fertilizer. Um, this, this plan to bomb the FBI building, by the way, is, is literally what um, Timothy McVeigh did when he attacked the, um, when he bombed the Oklahoma city government building, like he, he literally used uh, this book as a, not, not necessarily a, a complete guide, but that's what he did. He took a big truck, filled it with the explosive ingredients, parked it, I think, in front of the building, whereas in this one, they drove it down into the basement. Um, and they ended up having to, like, make them change their plans because originally they were just going to sort of drive it into the warehouse and blow it up there. But because they had less explosives, they had to, like, try to drive it right into the basement where the computer was. Um, and that's what they do on October 13th, which is the next chapter. 
It opens finding out that the bomb went off the previous morning. Blah, 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 blah. 700 people killed, including 150 in the basement. I have another page to read here. We have gone over this before, and we are all completely convinced that what we did is justified, right? But it is still very hard to see our own people suffering so intensely because of our acts. Not not the other people, just our own people. It is because uh, Americans have for so many years been unwilling to make unpleasant decisions that we are forced to make decisions now, which are stern indeed. Yes, yeah, stern, whatever. And is that not a key to the whole problem, the corruption of our people by the Jewish liberal democratic equality? equalitarian plague which afflicts us more clearly manifested in our soft-mindedness our unwillingness to recognize the harder realities of life than in anything else liberalism is an essentially feminine submissive worldview perhaps a better adjective than feminine is infantile it is the worldview of men who do not have the moral toughness the spiritual strength to stand up and do single combat with life who cannot adjust to the reality that the world is not a huge pink and blue padded nursery in which the lions lie down with the lambs and everyone lives happily ever after. Hey, maybe, buddy, maybe it's you who is having trouble, like, you know, accepting the fact that the world is full of people who are all fucking equal. Maybe that. Uh, nor should spiritually healthy men of our race even want the world to be like that, if it could be so. That is an alien, essentially oriental approach to life what the world view of I, I slaves rather than a free man of the, the west um yeah i think that's good enough um and i guess yeah, like we're, we're these are just these are snippets it really does just continue on it just beats you over the head with this bullshit i guess i should give some mild credit to the fact that like they're everything is so blatantly racist that like, it's not like it's a bad idea hidden under the cover of like an appealing thing where like you fool people into becoming racist. Like I think anyone who is not already a, a racist would, would not read this and go, Oh, oh he makes a good point. He makes yeah. a good point. Yeah. No, no, I think most people read this and go, what the f- fuck is wrong with you but it makes me um, it worries me that people would read this and go like hell yeah brother like that but those yeah for those people though that's already that's already a mindset that they have and um where it comes from probably varies a lot of it uh, you know parent to child i think in a lot of cases mm-hmm. um where am i at here now um Oh yeah, we, sorry. Were, were, which were you continuing on with that page, or were you cutting to something else? Uh, I was done reading. If you had more of that you wanted to share, though, go ahead. Oh yeah, when they're talking about the media coverage of the explosion, um, interviewers were asking leading questions. You know, like they're trying to mislead yeah. their their interviewees. Yeah. Um, what kind of inhuman beast do you think could have done something like this to your daughter? They have clearly made the decision to portray the bombing of the FBI building as the atrocity of the century. Like, they, he's so shocked that people would think that what they're doing is awful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the media is there to, like, just spin their words and, and make them out to be the bad guys when they're clearly the freedom fighters. Um, so, okay, now it's October 16th. And Unit 2 ends up with a bunch of munitions, uh, and Earl and Catherine head out to Unit 2 to get some of it. Earl starts to suspect <laughs> that... Get some of it. 
Yeah, Sorry. which they do up in the barn at Unit 2, and Earl's is like, I guess, uh, I think Henry is starting to, Henry and uh, George are starting to get in on the fact that uh, I'm the alpha here, and they're the cucks, and they may not <laughs> like it. Uh, but that'll be solved pretty soon, so no need to worry. Next chapter, it's now um, almost a, is it a week ahead, almost a week ahead, October 23rd. We find out that the organization has carried out more than 200 separate incidents in different parts of the country. Um, Earl's unit has done three missions in six days, including blowing up the press at the Washington Post. I guess there was some argument about whether or not they should go in and blow up the press or whether they should like go up to like the sixth floor or whatever where editorial was at like 730 when everyone's there and just like shoot a bunch of them and then try to get out. They figured they'd get trapped in the elevator and not be able to escape. Um, the one thing I do want to make a note of here is that I, I feel like the way they characterized the post here in that, like, they blew up one of their presses and the Washington Post was like, fuck it, we've got more presses. Like, they got their paper out, like, literally an hour later than normal. Um, and I'm like, fuck yeah, that's that's what the media would do. That's what the press does. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't, they don't let... Uh, like a bunch of fucking terrorists make them stop. Um, So I have to kind of credit the author for like accidentally writing something accurate about what the Washington Post would probably do. Um, So that was interesting. Okay. Um, But they also ran apparently an editorial in the paper, which, uh, which pissed them off. It said something like, Racists like us, he said, deserve no consideration from the police or any decent citizen. We should be shot down on sight like mad dogs. Okay. In contrast. Sorry, go ahead. No, okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. I'll let you finish and then I'll chime in. Okay. Uh, Quite a contrast with his usual solicitude for black rapists and murderers in his tirades against police brutality and overreaction. Since his editorial was an incitement to murder, it seemed to us only appropriate that he be given a taste of his own remedy. Okay, the press would not write an editorial saying, like, you need to go string these people up. They would... They would... You think they would? You think they would incite that? I don't know if they would do it in a... In a I don't know if it would be inciting. I think they might... They, I mean... I, some I mean, papers, like, go out of their way to post things that are, you know, inflammatory like that to, to get readers, right? But I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it may not be likely. Oh, right. It's October. Oh, they also blew up a TV station and they took over a radio station to temporarily blast out a message, but the police got there sooner than they anticipated. So the, the message didn't go up for very long. Uh, and the three people they had in the uh, in the radio station were uh, killed or caught. I can't remember now. Um, then it's October twenty eighth, and uh, and Earl Turner had to take part in the execution of Harry Powell, who was leader of Unit Five, because Powell refused an order to assassinate two advocates of racial mixing. Which um, this is an interesting part of the book, uh, where we see that the organization has been kind of infiltrated by like just ordinary non-militant racists, I guess. <laughs> um, where this guy is like, yeah, I mean, I kind of disagree with like racial mixing in relationships. We don't gotta kill these guys, do we? <laughs> so then they kill uh, him. So then, yeah, they they find him like guilty of uh, not doing his job and like 
and they execute him out in the woods. Uh, next chapter, it's November 4th. Uh, they're running low on money and food. And they can't really travel too much because the system is putting up like police roadblocks to like check people. Um, they've been they've been running a bunch of low risk one man attacks, including forty grenade attacks against federal buildings and media. Once again, they fucking hate the media in this book, which again, very similar to like the far right today, mm -hmm. people who don't trust the media. Uh, COVID nineteen is a hoax. Everything else. Um, November eighth, um, the makeup of Unit One has changed. It at one point rose up to eight people, and now it's back down to four with Earl and Catherine, and now Bill and Carol Hanrahan. Um, they were both formerly of Unit 6. I don't know what, what fucking matters where they used to be. Like, <laughs> I don't know what Unit 6 is, but again, like this guy's super into those details. Um, and then George and Henry, who used to be in this unit, are now over in another unit. Um this is now a technical services unit, while I think, like, George and Henry's unit is, like, an assassination unit or something. Uh, Earl has been working on creating a modified, uh, a modified mortar to take a different size shells, because they have the shells, but they didn't have a mortar to fire them with. Um, <laughs> I have a bit here where I, I, I was trying to write a description of Bill. I think I forgot a word. It says, Bill is a machine. <laughs> Uh, which he's not. I think he's a machine operator, maybe mechanic and printer. Uh, he used to operate a printing shop. And then in his description, I liked this quote that was included. His wife doesn't share his mechanical genius, but she is a reasonably competent printer. <laughs> like, like, so when we're not busy being like insanely racist, we're just going to be casually sexist as well. Like she's a woman. She's, She's reasonably competent at this thing <laughs> that her husband does way, way, way better. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, then uh, we get a big, long tirade about why women are better off uh, as part of the organizations because rape. And here I have another uh, a big portion to read from if I can find it. Uh, page 77, if you're curious, if you made a note of it. I probably be, I probably did. Uh, I don't have a. Guys. I don't have the page number. Does it start consider rape, for example? It absolutely does. Yeah, I took that one down too. Fuck, man, this is so bad. Um, consider rape, for example, which has become such an omnipresent pestilence these days. It had already been increasing at a rate of twenty to twenty-five percent per year since the early nineteen seventies until last year, when the Supreme Court ruled that all laws making rape a crime are unconstitutional because they presume a legal difference between the sexes. Rape, the judges ruled, can only be prosecuted under the statutes covering non-sexual assaults. Like, okay, first of all... What? Uh, how does that even happen? How does the Supreme Court go, you know what, rape? Eh, you know, Not it's, really it's a constitutionally thing. no different than being, like, punched in the face. Um, but, like, that's literally what the next paragraph says. In other words, rape has been reduced to the status of a punch in the nose. In cases where no physical injury can be pr proved, it is now virtually impossible to obtain a prosecution or even an arrest. The result of this judicial mischief has been that the incidence of rape has zoomed to the point that the legal statisticians have recently estimated that one out of every two American women can expect to be raped at least once in her lifetime. In many of our big cities, of course, the statistics are much worse. <laughs> the women's lib groups have greeted this development with dismay. It isn't exactly what they had in mind when they began agitating for equality two decades ago. At least there's dismay among the rank and file of such groups. I have a suspicion that their leaders, most of whom are Jewesses, 
had this outcome in mind from the beginning, because of course the Jewesses want more people being raped, I guess. Black civil rights spokesmen, on the other hand, have had only praise for the Supreme Court's decision. Rape laws, they said, are racist because a disproportionately large number of blacks have been charged under them. Nowadays, gangs of black thugs hang around parking lots and school playgrounds and roam the corridors of office buildings and apartment complex looking for any attractive, unescorted white girl and knowing that punishment, either from the disarmed citizenry or the handcuffed police, is extremely unlikely. Gang rapes in school fucking classrooms have become an especially popular new sport. Like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? This is not something that happens. Uh, some particularly liberal women may find that this situation provides a certain amount of satisfaction for their masochism, a way of atoning for their feelings of racial guilt. But for normal white women, it is a daily nightmare. Uh, one of the sickest aspects of this whole thing is that many young whites, instead of opposing this new threat to their race, have apparently decided to join it. White rapists have become more common. There have even been instances of integrated rape gangs recently. Oh, man. Oh, man. I didn't realize how bad that was when I first read it. Can you imagine, like... Black racists and white racists, or sorry, black rapists and white rapists working together. Like that's, 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 wow. that's where the line is drawn. That's insane. I don't even know, like, I could just keep reading. This is, yeah, so... it just, it, it just, it's a nonstop bombardment. Um, I, I, I have to do the next paragraph, actually. Not, okay. not, ha nor have the girls remained entirely passive. Sexual debauchery of every sort on the part of young white men and women and even children in their preteens has reached a level which would have been unimagined only two or three years ago. The queers, the fetishists, the mixed-race couples, the sadists, and the exhibitionists urged on by the mass media are parading their perversions in public and the public is joining them. So, okay, first of all, I gotta say, I don't know if we've ever like explicitly said this, but we, we're not one to kink shame on this podcast. So I want to be clear that, that like, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we are in absolute support of the queers, the fetishists, the mixed-race couples, the sadists, uh, and the exhibitionists. They're all cool. You guys are all awesome. Two thumbs up. Yeah. I don't know why this guy's so wigged out about you. Oh, okay, now I feel nauseous after reading all that. Um, where was I? <laughs> Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, so Henry drops by um, Earl's unit to pick up the modified mortars and Earl just spends a while thinking about how great Henry is um, which kind of makes me think that Henry is going to like sacrifice himself at some point but like there's a point in like this little part of this chapter where like Earl's like man like Henry's just the kind of guy where like like if it was all up to him you just know this revolution's going to work like he's just the man I, I don't know uh, next chapter, I guess chapter 8, it's now November 9th. Um, an extraordinary session of Congress was convened, uh, presumably for the president to ask Congress uh, for permission to like enact that internal passport law. But before that can happen, uh, of course, if you haven't guessed by now, mortar shells start coming down near the Capitol. Uh, the first hits about 200 yards northeast of the building. The second hits about 50 yards in front of the TV camera reporting. And then the third round hits the Capitol. And then at that point, they've like, they figured out exactly how far away the building is. They've lined everything up. The mortars just keep hitting. Boom, boom, boom. Um, there's uh, simultaneous, simultaneous attacks in California and New York, um, where... Uh, I think in uh, in California, a group busts into the L.A. City Council where they're about to vote on, quote-unquote, anti-racist ordinances, um, which, again, this is one of those things where, like, 
it's painted as like these anti-racist ordinances would be terrible, obviously. We don't find out what they are. Mm-hmm. We don't find out what these laws, these anti-racist laws that they're trying to enact that are so terrible are. We're just told, oh my God, they're enacting anti-racist laws. Let's fucking lob a bunch of grenades at them, which is what they do. Um, and then they, in New York, um, there's and now, a... Now, are they, at, are they like, let's just think about this for a second. Are they anti-racist laws or are they anti-terrorism laws? Well, okay, yeah. So here's here's the thing that I've just clicked on myself as you said that. I, it, when I read anti-racist originally, I was reading it more as like anti-racism. Like these are laws that would make it harder or make it like criminal to do like racist things. Mm-hmm. But these may be laws that actually it would be like against racists themselves, which is maybe what they're responding to is like, oh my God, they're trying to outlaw the fact that I want to murder Jews and roast them on the spit downtown, that can't be allowed. See, now I feel like with all the attacks that are going on, the laws that they're actually passing are laws against the organization. <laughs> because they're he often right, refers yeah. to themselves as quote-unquote racist. Racists, yeah. Right? So he's like, well, they think we're racist. They think we're terrorists. Yeah. You know, they're passing anti-racist laws, which I kind of took as like anti-us laws. So that's why they were attacking them. Because they didn't want the... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then in New York, uh, they uh, they use a bazooka to blow up an airliner um, headed to Tel Aviv, which was mostly filled with um, Jewish people. They also point out what a bazooka was. Um, and then I have a note to read something on page 83, which I think I have a vague idea what it might be. I don't have anything after this. Like I literally just skimmed the last chapter and a half. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I wanted to make note of, I don't really need to read this, but I, I, the one thing I wanted to note here is that they talk about, um, it's one of these asides notes that the reader, a bazooka was a portable launcher for small rockets used primarily as an infantry weapon against armored vehicles during world war two. Um, generally obsolete by 8 BNE. Tel Aviv was the largest city in Palestine during the period of Jewish occupation of that unfortunate country in the old era. The ruins of the city are still too radioactive for human habitation. So it hasn't, we do know that like some kind of a nuclear war is coming in this book because that's what Wikipedia says. It sounds like part of the like um, nuclear war involves bombing the fuck out of Israel and nuking all of the Jewish people there. If Tel Aviv is no is still not like people still can't live there, it's so radioactive. So that's something fun to look forward to. Uh, we find out that sixty one people were killed at the Capitol, uh, two congressmen, uh, one sub cabinet official, and four or five senior congressional staffers. Which they're like, oh man, that's not enough. Next chapter. It's November fourteenth. Um, Henry drops by again just to hang out and, and tell them like how, how they did the capital attacks, which is like, I don't fucking care. Um, Henry asks Earl if he can make more mortar shells, but uh, this is one one of the rare things that Earl, or Henry, that Earl can't do. He's like, man, I can't. It's easier to steal them. Um, we find out that there has been a, kind of a rash of bombings in the area that actually aren't connected to the organization. So it's like, They've connected with, at the very least, like maybe anarchist groups 
um, pyromaniacs, just people who like blowing things up. Um, Earl has to go and fix something else at another place. Um, Unit 4 in Georgetown, formerly an upscale area. It's now kind of filled with um, dropouts and runaways. There was a part in this chapter that I kind of wanted to read, and I remember getting to this point and just being like, I I just can't anymore. I just can't anymore. And when he talks about like the people in Georgetown and like how everybody's raping everybody else and like there's fucking satanic sex rituals going on and it's like what what even universe are you living in dude um as he's leaving georgetown he encounters a girl being attacked by a bunch of rapists of course um he helps her out finds out she's like not doing very well so he buys her lunch he kind of finds out from her that these unrelated bombers in the area might have like come from this area and he kind of gets the idea that that individually the people in georgetown are like fucking useless but uh, perhaps as a collective they could be useful to the organization uh and that's chapter nine and that means we're done <sighs> it's not just that it's a bad book. I mean, it's not it's not particularly well written, but bad I'm okay with bad books existing. It's just how filled with hate this is when and there fear. is this there's long... so much fear in this book. Like the 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 guy that wrote this is terrified. Mm. But I mean of everything. as I mean you, Yoda said that like fear fear leads to hatred or something right, right. isn't that yeah. how it goes yeah yeah so clearly like yeah it's got fear and hatred um but to, like read an entire page about like how the Jews should have been removed from the United States years ago and how we should be like roasting them on the streets right now like that's that's not mild cultural disagreements that's fucking hate and there is a reason i guess that like the reason that this book is not allowed to be brought into canada because it's considered hate speech it, it and is, it's, yeah. it's clear that it is like there's nothing there's nothing redeeming in this there's nothing remotely redeeming about this and i gotta say like and, and what you you touched on it earlier um whereas like it, it's not mildly racist where you know you might find yourself kind of agreeing with some of these things which i think was kind of my fear before i got into this um, was yeah. like, you know, what if I connect with this material in any way? Like, I don't really, right, I don't know if right, I wanted yeah, to, because yeah. I think I, I was pretty apprehensive to even start this book. Um, but now, oh yeah, we spent months deciding, would we eventually do this? Would we do this now? Would we do this later? Right. Yeah. It was a big conversation. And even once we're doing it, you weren't sure. You wanted to <laughs> well, do now I, w I don't want to do it for a completely different reason. Like this stuff is so far beyond the realm of reality. Yeah. Um, I am not connecting with this at all. It actually, it's turning my stomach. Um, yeah. And that's kind of where I was coming at. I just, I just didn't see the, any good coming from doing this book, especially after this first third of it. I, I'm glad that you said what you said. If we can give people an opportunity to like, this is, this is what this book is. This, this book is bad. This book is just awful. Uh, in on a lot of levels mm -hmm. um 
And if you're listening, hopefully, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, if anybody would even want to listen to us read this thing, to be honest with you. That's fair. Um, and if you're not listening, then you won't hear this, but I totally <laughs> understand why you wouldn't want to listen to this. Uh, and if you are listening, uh, I'm hoping that you're listening maybe to understand what this book is without having to experience it. I will say that the one thing I kind of took away from reading it the first time is that it it did give me the opportunity to spend some time inside the head of the people who think this way. And it was enlightening because I don't think I would have ever, like those thoughts are just alien to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like unless I had someone sitting down and writing them out and saying, these are the thoughts that I have, I would have never gone like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like I read them and go like, holy fuck, somebody thinks these things. Um, and there are, like there are people now, alive right now, um, who think these things. And I, I I do think there's a value, maybe not for everyone, but there there is some value in being able to get inside that head and go, okay, it's gross and grimy and yucky in here, but I... I'm better off knowing what you're thinking than not knowing what you're thinking, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was the first nine chapters of the Turner Diaries. We will be uh, covering chapters 10 to 19 in the next episode, assuming Oren's brain doesn't get engulfed by fire or... <laughs> whatever pretty much it's just if i can if i can just keep reading it like at the yeah. last chapter and a half i just i skipped i just skimmed it i was like okay all right now that's happening all yeah. right all right all right just because like so much of it is just explanation on just super racist bullshit um yeah yeah but uh yeah i'll i'll uh i'll i'll, I'll take a day off i'll come back yeah, to just, it you know what come in come in with just enough to like hold a moderate conversation <laughs> okay Right, like I'm gonna be leading the podcast, like as long as you can go mm -hmm, every once in a while, <laughs> and then just and be say, like, yeah, yeah, I, I remember reading that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what else do you what is... else do you say? Like, I mean, we can't do we can't do the good cop bad cop in this scenario. Like, I can't one of us can't go against these thoughts, and one of us can go with right. Them it's because... like, yeah, but maybe he's got a point, <laughs> right? Like, and we we. We've often had that back and forth, but I think on this one we're very much in agreement yeah. that. Uh, and I guess like we could also resuscitate our game from a Clockwork Orange of like what the fuck is he saying? Except with like a oof, I can't believe he just said something <laughs> that racist. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, but uh, as always, I'm I'm glad you're here on this this adventure with me as much as this adventure is an unpleasant and stinky one. Yeah, you owe me. I do, yeah. Well, as I said, you you can you can pick the next book if you want. Okay, so. I'll pick the next one. If you want to if you want to force me to read something unbearable, then that's your call. <laughs> okay. Uh, any final thoughts before we move on? Um. <clears throat> yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm just I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm icky. I need to take a shower. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. If you were listening, uh, and if you were listening, I apologize for what you just had to sit through. Hey, guess what? There's only two episodes of having to sit through, two more episodes of having to sit through stuff like that. So uh, bear with us. Hopefully we can make it somewhat palatable with the occasional joke and aside uh, about this terrible, racist, homophobic, bigoted, piece of shit novel that 
somehow exists even today. Uh, I've been Todd Sullivan. And I'm Oren Barter. This has been When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Until next time. Don't read this book. Don't read this book. Read anything <laughs> about this book. <laughs> <laughs>